The technical advances in personal banking are amazing. Depositing a check with a picture from your smartphone, transferring money with Zelle and a phone number. I'm UT Tyler Radio News Director Mike Landis. But is faster really better? And more importantly, is it safe for your money? To get a banking professional's perspective, UT Tyler Radio connects with Bill Tandy. What do you think, Bill? Is the bank really safer than putting cash under a mattress? <laughs> well, if you'd asked me five years ago, my my answer probably would be different than it is today. I, I too, am sort of concerned that moving money uh, through uh, electronics and the ether and all that, uh, I, I think that creates some issues and problems potentially. Not only in terms of its safety necessarily, but but uh, really the ability for other people to potentially track it, depending on hacks and all kinds of stuff. So I'm I'm not as maybe I'm old school, uh, but uh, I still like having uh, you know the ability to pay cash and the ability to write a check. Although I don't do much of that anymore myself, but uh, you know I. I uh, I'm concerned that uh, a lot of this is moving a lot faster than it should. I, I just recently uh, listened to an audiobook uh, whose name slips my mind, but the essence of the story was is that the that the uh, the, the zeros and, and and ones that that, that make up the this technical aspect of 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 money transferring electronically could be manipulated in such a way and, and particularly we just we just saw a story just recently about chinese hackers getting into financial institutions and hospitals and and we hear about uh, uh, ransomware that that comes along uh, it, it must be maybe you're glad you just retired recently you may be glad to be out of this are are you <laughs> well i'm always going to be in it even if i'm out of it but um you know the digital currency and and uh, the discussions that go around that um, I think they have have much longer shadows. I mean, it'll come out eventually as something that's helpful and good for the American people, and people will maybe adopt it or maybe not. But but there's some long shadows potentially that go behind that that I that that do concern me a little bit. It was once said that Americans, and probably true of, of most human beings, are so impatient that we microwave minute rice. Now, the speed <laughs> at which we can do the banking is gobsmacking. Uh, what are some of the pitfalls from your perspective? Well, I think um, one of the things that I think we have less control of our money now, even though it seems like we have more control of it. Because, again, if if uh, if we were to be hacked, if there were a ransomware situation, if, the, if China got into our financial system, it could take the whole thing down. And then all of a sudden, nobody has any money, potentially. So... You know, not that's not meant to you know be a scary thing. It just is. It's out there and it's a fact. There's there's a lot of single points of failure that exist now that never really existed before. How's it being addressed, to your knowledge? Well, I think there's been more embracing of this this new uh, technology because it is so fast and it is so instantaneous. And as you point out. You know, we live in an Amazon world, and uh, if you need to Google something, or any question you have, you can Google it and get the answer, I guess, uh, or you can YouTube it or whatever. And all of this speed and um, instantaneous is is thought of as a positive by most American people. But the reality is um, they're losing more and more control of their lives, I think. That's, that's uh, you know, an opinion from the sideline, I guess. You were working in the banking industry when banks were going bust, uh, even working close to the FDIC to close some banks. For those who aren't familiar with exactly what happened back then, what exactly happened back then? <laughs> well, the, when I was with the FDIC, it was in the mid-'80s, and um, 
there was uh, a bust in the oil business back then. There was a real estate bust. There were several things that contributed to it. Um, and the bankers back then actually contributed to their own demise to a certain extent because when the economy's hot and when things are going well and competition is whatever it is, we start uh, cheating on our underwriting a little bit. We're 20% down was normal before. Well, 15%. Well, the bank down the street's doing 10% or whatever. And so one day when the music stops and all of a sudden you've got a lot of loans on the books that probably should have never been there, then all of a sudden all the bankers go back to church and pray that they get out of this trouble. So Yes. Say, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> yeah. I promise if you let me out of this, I promise I will <laughs> never do this. I again. will marry my underwriting stand. We will never <laughs> deviate from the norm ever again. I promise. I promise. Gosh, there were so many versions of that, too. I was thinking about the, the five year arms where people got to the five years and suddenly they had a house that was not worth what they owed. That's exactly and right. Big, big trouble there. And they had a balloon note. Give us your take on the premise too big to fail. Now, if Chase or Bank of America or Wells Fargo, I just happen to pick those out of the air or whomever gets into deep weeds. Will the government step in to save them again or are they on their own these days? Well, no, the, the big banks are too big to fail, as you point out. And I think that creates a moral risk of sorts, because if you're the president of Chase or Wells Fargo, and you know that there's nothing you can do that will allow yourself to fail as an organization or as a business, then you're giving sort of free reign to them to make decisions that are otherwise probably not very good decisions. To me, when you separate actions and consequences, then you're setting yourself up for a, a real problem down the road, potentially. I was thinking about Wells Fargo in particular. Who is, they've had a number of missteps over the past 10 years that have been very, very widely reported uh, across the world. And yet, they still consent, they still can continue to operate and they st and it's not that I'm saying that, that they are, are bad people or it's a bad institution I'm just saying this is it what they've done and the uh, the as you point out the consequences don't seem to be there I mean maybe they're they're they lost some trust from some customers but they're still functioning at an extremely high level as one of the top world's top banks well you think back a few years ago and we had you know they were big into derivatives and they were big into subprime loans and they were big into a whole bunch of things that weren't necessarily good for them if there isn't a consequence for being there and there's you know there's going to be a government assistance beyond the fdic to help them through the problems then you know, it's sort of like have, giving the teenager the keys to the house and the car, and you'll be gone for two weeks. I mean, and unlock the liquor cabinet. Unlock the liquor cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> unlock it. Yeah. So let's go back to the technology component. Even low tech, like credit card skimmers, cost millions in losses. Is tech security keeping up with that kind of thing? They're getting better. I mean, I think the the good guys are actually starting to win, but. Uh, the way hackers are getting through now and ransomware people are getting through now is actually through human beings, allowing them to either uh, uh, give them credentials to get inside the system or whatever. Uh, the people that do the IT stuff on both sides of the house, I think, are getting better. Um, and, and, uh, and the good guys are staying with the bad guys and in some cases are better. It's, it's much harder just to straight up hack an institution now than it was 10 years ago. Um, but there's ways through employees 
and and people that are connected to it to get into it by sending them you know phishing emails and that type of stuff uh, an unwitting uh, being right. an unwitting accessory that's to exactly it, right you which means that all of us have to be a lot more aware of what it is that we're doing and maybe even look up a youtube story on whatever the latest phishing tactics are that's exactly right you'll get an email for example as an employee that from your boss or from the ceo or somebody saying we need to do this immediately i need your password to do you know, we need to go in and get whatever it is and they you know people and and it's usually done under a, a you know a real short time frame so there's panic and fear and so they do the wrong thing thinking they're doing the right thing yeah it's a it's a real challenge to keep up with it all how would you rate the overall health of the banking industry the big guys and community banks included well that's an interesting question because um right now i, I would say the banking industry in general is in reasonably good shape um, I think the capital numbers are in pretty good shape. The earnings numbers are in good shape. But underneath that, you've got uh, commercial real estate issues in a number of banks that are starting to surface. Uh, past due uh, numbers are going up at per- mainly all the banks now. Um, and then you still have this whole issue of interest rates going up and banks investing in um, in treasuries and, and, and government bonds now that are way underwater on those. So um, there are some problems beneath the surface. I mean, if you look at the financial statements straight up today, they look fine. If you look at a, at a, a time series or a, a historical look, you can see that you know there's some problems creeping into the system. And, and how will those be addressed? I mean, will, will it have to happen before we do something about it? Or is there anything that can be done proactively? Well, I, the, well that, that, that's an interesting question in as much as that it's, it, the answer is kind of a multidimensional thing. First of all— Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Uh, commercial real estate is going to continue to be problematic for it because particularly in the bigger cities where you've got buildings that are just totally empty post-COVID— um, and now they're facing not only the prospects of not having enough money to be able to make the debt service, but in a lot of cases, those loans are coming up for renewal, uh, and they were used to paying 3 and 4%, and now they're looking down the barrel of 8 9 and 10%. How's that, gonna, how's that all going to wash out? And that's, that's, gonna, that's yet to be seen. Um, but I think you'll start to see maybe toward the middle end of this year – uh, some more failures on the banking side. It, it won't be a lot. It won't be big names necessarily, but but it's coming. And then, you know, credit card debt, I guess the end of last year topped a trillion dollars for the first time. Uh, we're seeing more and more and more debt being taken on by consumers and more of that becoming past due. Uh, you know, the trajectory there is not particularly good. Um, so I don't think you'll see, it won't be like 2008 in September when it would just the whole world fell in, it, it'll be a, a gradual eroding of the uh, of the system. So, this um, interview, I should say, is probably not actually. It isn't your first foray into a radio studio. You did a radio program, and you have a great voice, by the way. Thank you. Uh, you did a radio program called "Not Just Bankers." What was its purpose? And how did it work? Well, it was really designed to give away information, good information, because. In the, in the world of dealing with customers, which banks do, um, one of the things that I think help people a lot is when you give them things and there's nothing in it for you. So the premise of not You're just You're not talking bank- about toasters. No, 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 no. But um, our uh, 
our thought behind Not Just Bankers back in the day was um, to give people information to help them ask questions that they're intimidated to ask bankers. Um, they don't get the opportunity to ask them and say, here's some things about the banking world, the finance world, credit card world. Here's some things you ought to be nervous about. Keep your eyes open for. Um, here's why your banker probably said what they said or did what they did. Um, just to get on the customer side of the desk and, and help them through those things. So how does a retired banker with a remarkable career behind him see his future? What do you want to do next? Public service, politics, cable netting? <laughs> well, I, you know, it's one of those things once you retire, it's funny um, how opportunities and suggestions and ideas just sort of all of a sudden flood through the woodwork. And so, um, you know, I'm you know, right now I'm just sort of hanging out with God and praying every day and just saying, okay, you know, I got an awful lot of things coming this way. Uh, give me some ideas or guidance on how or what or which way this ought to go. And I'm going to take my time and listen and pray and think about that. So, uh, But as you say, whether it's politics or writing a book or podcasts or consulting or whatever. And so right now, honest to God, I'm really enjoying just getting up in the morning with my girl and going out on the porch and having a cup of coffee with her and petting the dogs and doing that kind of thing for right now. That's an awful lot of fun. And I've missed that, actually. So cable netting's off the table? <laughs> well, for the, for the moment, anyway. <laughs> for the moment, anyway. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, the, probably the only area that I would um, caution everybody, and, and um, right now there's um, the big discussion about interest rates and which way they're going to go. I think there's a lot. The, the business media is kind of at war with itself right now. Because on the one hand, they keep predicting and they have been predicting since the end of 22 that rates are, that inflation's transitory and it's coming down and rates. And the reality is the low rates that we saw at one, two, three percent are aberrations. And so, you know, we've now gone a year and a half and rates have not done anything but go up or hang in there and, and stay steady. Now they're calling for additional rate cuts this year. I'm. I would be. It would not surprise me at all if we saw no rate cuts this year. In fact, we actually saw some rate increases. So, I would. I would pay attention to that. I'd be thinking about that as you're going along. And as, as you would probably say, it's always important to sort of read between the lines, do your own thinking, do your own research. Thanks for listening as UT Tyler Radio connects with retired Tyler Bank Executive Bill Tandy. To share, listen again, or for a transcript of this interview, visit our website, uttylerradio.org. To be notified about future episodes, subscribe to UT Tyler Radio Connects on your favorite podcast platform. For UT Tyler Radio News, I'm Mike Landis.